I just want to start things off by saying white people suck and must be stopped. This was definitely Disney's brush with critical race theory. gosh i've been thinking so much about the graphical interface of all the software in this movie ever since we've done it like just how far we've come as a society with web 2 to web 3 what a journey of technology this film unexpectedly was i think this was web 1.0 honestly i i just want to thank johnny's dad um for giving us the software for schools to be connected and online I'm so excited. This is our first Disney Channel original movie that we have done on the show. The first of many to come. And we've already sent a calendar invite, open invitation to PJ to come back for Brink. Don't worry. We're getting that on the books right now for y'all. But Johnny Tsunami, what a classic and so many iconic Disney Channel stars in this film. Yeah, we had um, the famous Jet Jackson and Kristen Storms. Thank you. Kristen Storms, Xenon. Um, I do want to say this is actually the first episode that we ever recorded with a guest. And our <gasps> guest was PJ Metz. That is right. PJ was our very first guest. We were still getting our feel for what the show was going to be and look like. And he was such a good sport for all of it. And we honestly can't wait to have him back. Yeah, I think having PJ on as our very first guest was perfect. Honestly, it was like the least editing I've ever done in my life because the conversation flowed so naturally. And we just had so much to talk to from like white people to surf pigs, um, just and everything in between. We actually have some fun sound clips from Ayla this time. She did a full on review, giving it two out of three stars. Um, You'll have to listen to figure out why there isn't a third star though. Ooh, a mystery. And y'all, next week is an extra special episode. It is Lohan film number two on the pod. Get a clue. There's nothing you can do. Get a clue. Um, A Disney Channel original movie. And we have another guest for next week. Gwen is coming. GPS. If you don't follow her, GPS on pretty much everything. Um, She will be talking with us about Get a Clue and all of the tech gadgets um, that we wish we had and or did play with as kids. Well... I think the only way to lead into this episode, Sarah, is with a beautiful sound effect that I'll let you recreate. Hey, Bono! (laughs) Okay, y'all. I just want to start things off by saying white people suck. And must be stopped. Facts! That was literally what my mom, my mom was like, so the white people are just assholes, like always. Okay, I get this movie, because she did watch it with me. As the whitest person on this show, I just want to uh, 
not apologize. I just want to say white people need to be stopped, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> and I just had to get that out. <laughs> so with that introduction, I would like to introduce our guest today, our first guest ever on the show. Welcome to the show, PJ Metz. Yay. I'm half white. <laughs> Me too. Half white club. I'm full white. Like 100% like <laughs> Ancestry.com. Nothing. I'm like 50% Akhenazi Jewish. Thanks, dad. And then everything else is just like the whitest of the white, which if you have seen any of the images of our show, I am the palest person in the world and uh my skin burns and i need to live in ireland because <laughs> you're like you're 23 and me back and it was like ashkenazi jew and like a picture of a potato and that was it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like legitimately just the whitest i'm i'm your whitest friend like i i have a sunburn right now that i have aloe on anyway um <laughs> so pj yeah tell us as our first guest, a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to go right into the movie because I, I can't I can't wait. <laughs> I'm very excited, first off, that I got to pick this movie. So first off, my name is PJ Metz. I am a uh, education evangelist at GitLab as of May of this year. It's brand new. And my kind of thing is like when I was like, uh, I my thing is that I switched into tech just recently, and I spent a year learning the code, and I spent that time uh, streaming it to Twitch, and I spent that time streaming with Chloe and making Twitter bots and doing a bunch of things. So that's that's like if someone said, "Hey, PJ, what chapter of your life are you in right now?" I'd be like the confusing one when everything has changed and you have a lot to learn and new characters are being introduced. But the previous like 20 chapters, I was a high school English teacher and I uh, taught at the high school that I went to, which was kind of an interesting thing. That's awesome. I'm from Orlando, Florida. I went to the University of Florida, so I'm a Gator. Um, and I'm actually like, I like my school, but also like as I'm getting older, I'm becoming less interested in university affiliated things. And it's like, I love the school. I have a gator tattoo, but it's not like it's not like the UF gator. He's a chubby little cute gator, and he looks very 80s. I was literally going to bring this up. I was like, I think you need to give us like the lowdown on your, first of all, your overall aesthetic, your fashion style. Like it's my favorite tattoo I've ever seen on anyone ever. Like truly, it, and it embodies PJ. It's like a freaking surfing. <laughs> I love the it. artist actually got like interviewed for a podcast and the image they chose for it was the tattoo she did for me. And I was like, I'm famous. And she was like, yeah, everyone really likes it. And I was like, that's why I put sunscreen on it every day. <laughs> so if you're trying to get a visual of what PJ looks like, he is this gator. Like we shouldn't even put his headshot <laughs> for the show. <laughs> Just use the gator. Cause that is PJ. That is like absolutely this is true. Yeah. Embodiment. He's, <laughs> he's got an eighties vibe. I actually sent along a picture of some sunglasses I own and a hat that I bought in a thrift shop in Japan. And I was like, can you put these on the gator? And she was like, yeah. And he's like, He's got some water underneath him. He's like sliding in the water and he's over this that like awesome. triangle design. I love him. I love and I him. think that's <laughs> one of the things we bonded on aesthetically, PJ, is a lot of the projects that we've worked on, like our yeah. Mariah Carey bot, which if you're not following 
all of the amazing bots that we made. We have It's Britney bot. We have the original Shania bot, which Shania is what brought bot. us together as friends, basically. <laughs> I just took a left turn out of that aesthetic with the Taking Back Sunday bot. <laughs> like, it's not very 90s, but their album did come out in 1999, so it's kind of 90s. What does this bot do? So this bot, if you tag it and use the word emo it'll give you a youtube video of theirs with a sample of the lyrics amazing amazing <laughs> pj i was i was thinking what an interesting film and i didn't even think of this until i just watched it back for you to do because i did not remember coding or software being a part of this film that was fascinating hey um so net study that's the one where you hook up all the schools and they like share the same files and stuff? That's the one. Since we're only uh, connected here on the island, let's go with something local. $34,000. Wow. You think these guys would be earning a lot more than that? A very important question is, why this film? You got to choose first out of anyone. So like, why Johnny Tsunami out of, you know, so many amazing films to choose from? The the two movies that immediately came to mind when you guys asked me to pick one was this and Brink. Mm. Because yes. those are the two movies that I watched the most. I actually, I rollerbladed in middle school and high school. Like I had aggressive inlines. I would like soap up curbs and try and grind them and jump on stairs and stuff. So Brink, I was like, oh my God, like that's me. Uh, except like, you know, they all had like the uh, Devin Sawa haircuts and I had this like curly mess of whatever. Um, but I ended up going with Johnny Tsunami because it was like a kind of a family joke, like a, a little thing we did together that my dad would imitate the grandfather's <laughs> all the time. Would he call you Pono? <laughs> no, just, just the all the time. <laughs> like if I, I called my that. dad, right now and said dad do the johnny tsunami thing he'd go and he would like do it like oh my gosh i i love that see my dad so my dad would not know anything about this film i feel like this is a movie that i watched a million bajillion times during the hot sacramento summer months just like <laughs> trying to sit in the ac and just dreaming that I could get Kirsten Storm's bangs. Like, all I wanted was her bangs. And her skin is amazing in this film. Um, I have so many exciting things to share about uh, that maybe will kind of set the uh, tone here that I think are really important going into it. I did a little research. And I think something worth noting is the director of this film uh, is a stunt coordinator. And a majority of his IMDB is all these uh, stunt coordinator things all through the 90s. And do you guys want to guess what other Disney Channel original movie he directed and Has worked to be Brink. on? Has to be Brink. Okay, good, good. Is there another That's, one? Was there one about like, uh, I'm trying to think of like extreme things. Um, think about like, 
Was it that motocross? Yes, it was <laughs> motocrossed. <laughs> so this guy, so I went down a really interesting rabbit hole and I highly recommend going on IMDb and, and just seeing how much work these writers uh, mm. collaborated on. A lot of Power Rangers stuff. A lot of, remember Susie Q? These are the same yes. writers of Susie Q, a bunch of Barbie films. I mean, truly motocrossed, some of the best. And what's fascinating heavyweights is also in here and it really Mm. you see that format across all these movies right of like there's some sort of obstacle course or race Mm -hmm. of sport proportions where there's stunts and there's Mm -hmm. body doubles so I feel like this really set the formula for those films if you look at the timeline this was his direct one of his directorial debuts but worked for oh my gosh like 10 or 15 years just working on stunt work for some of the classic 90s movies of our time. Um, he did that? Meet the Deedles. Yes, yeah, which is a surf movie I only remember seeing at Blockbuster from the cover. Which, I've never seen it. <laughs> which the dude who plays Randy and Ronnie, Steve Van Wagner, also was in Meet the Deedles, just, just oh, so wow. you know. But I, I, I do want to say that makes perfect sense because one thing I have in my notes is – while I do fully understand, and it's very obvious that there were professional stunt people pulling off. Oh, these because stunts. they turned Caucasian? <laughs> and like, <laughs> also, oh my gosh, these stunts were still terrifying. Like, I don't even understand how a stunt person does these stunts on a mountain. Like, I know some of them had some green screen, but like, goodness. It was scared. This was, was such scared. an age of extreme sports. Like if you were not, if you are a Gen Z or listening mm. in, this era of the nineties was like Brink. Um Goofy Movie Two took place at the X Games. Like it was mm-hmm. such a like Tony Hawk oh, was so the college big. X Games. I remember a goofy, an extremely goofy movie it was called. Yes. Oh, thank you for that correction. <laughs> important. Very important for this show. So actually, speaking of which, I want to do a quick deep dive real quick because I wanted to know, like, this whole skiing versus snowboarding thing and, like, when did snowboarding become popular? And this is, this, like, totally fits in perfectly. Okay, the first snowboard ever to be created was by this dude, Sherman Poppin, um, where he just tied two skis together so that his he could like teach his daughters and they called it a snurfer. Like a snow surfer. <laughs> a snurfer. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then You're anyways, to see a there's, pun in the name. there's like this really long history from 1965 all the way up until the 1980s or 1979 when this dude came with his like own unique board that he called a snowboarder it was jake burton and he was like i'm a snowboarder this is a snowboard and it was at the it was at the snurfer like championships okay the snurfing competition i'm not even joking and so he showed up and they were like okay fine you can enter into the modified open snurfing competition like no joke y'all and he was the only one to enter and he won and then basically um, in 1981, there was like a King of a Mountain competition, blah, blah, blah. And then it was in the Winter X Games of 1990. And in 1998, it was in the Winter Olympics for the first time in Japan. So um, it was in the 1980s wow. that it went from huh. snurfing to snowboarding. Have you guys ever wow. snowboarded? I have. And I am 
not great at it. <laughs> I have not. I've only, I mean, I'm from Florida. I've only ever skied once. It was a youth group trip that we took to North Carolina. And they were like, you can learn to ski. And I was like, it was senior year. I was six foot three and like 180 pounds. So I was like, I look like this big stick. And I was on the like, there's like a learning hill where it's like you grab a tow rope and it pulls you to the top and you go down and it's maybe like 30 feet. Yes, that's where I'm hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, I went to grab the tow rope and it yanked me forward and I fell down and just dragged my body up. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is you were in the X Games. (laughs) I can skateboard and I can bike and I rollerbladed and I wish I had learn to snowboard but skis did not work for me I just my whole life I have wanted to be a boarder and I the first time I went snowboarding I was so good y'all and I just don't go frequently enough that I but I will say I'm very qualified for this film because I played hours if not days if not months of snowboard kids 2 on n64 Mm. and I high scored in that game constantly so um, I was a 1080 snowboarding kid I also own a skateboard, not to brag, but I'm very bad at it. So um, (laughs) I've always wanted to be a boarder, but I am a skater. I figure skate competitioned as a young child, and I've always owned a skateboard, but I've never had uh, the time or guts to learn. But I want to be. So maybe that's like a a weekly update. Like, how's Chloe's boarding going? How's it going? (laughs) And You just go, it's not. <laughs> and I do own inline skates, and so does my boyfriend. And we plan on using them, as I do with every wheeled item I own. <laughs> Doctor Doctor G, yeah, what do you have? Okay, so I surfed a little bit. I did not own a surfboard, but I like surfed a bit when I was a kid because I was, and Chloe knows this, a yes, surf pig in training. <laughs> Um, so please, what? please for the for the gentleman and the jury, please inform the audience um, what your AOL Instant Messenger screen name was. Surfpig thirteen. Thirteen's my favorite lucky number. <laughs> um, you you heard it right. Okay, so I just shared a, a picture in the chat with y'all, and I'll, I'll put this on the gram, but. Um, the the aesthetics of this film really hit home with me because this is a picture of me with my fellow surf pig classmates um, getting awards. Um, so if you don't know what a surf pig is, <clears throat> just think about <laughs> those fine folks who sit on the sand on the coasts and just watch for danger and save lives. Because really, what a garter they do of lives, if you will, is that they they're they're policing oh. the surf. And my mom thought oh, it was I hilarious. Get it now. The police of the ocean. <laughs> so it was a joke in my family. I actually did 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 do junior lifeguards when I was a kid. Um, for like, I don't know, a decade. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was a surf pig. Hey, a cab all. Actually, <laughs> ASAB, all surf pigs are bacon. You got it. That's exactly right. <laughs> I um Dr. Yeah, G, I that's just, amazing. I you know, I just I just wanted to be 
I just wanted to be a lifeguard. I wanted to be a surf pig. And wow, um, so this must have hit home for you as a San Diegan to boot. Did you have yes. an urge to like arrest all the surfers though? <laughs> <laughs> so this film made me want to become a snowboarder. However, the first time I ever went snowboarding and the last time I ever went snowboarding, it was so bad. <laughs> I fell over so many times. And not only did I fall over, um, trying to get up is very difficult. Uh, and It's um, the worst thing in my life. <laughs> I ended up getting these like ginormous bumps on my forearms. Like my muscles swelled. <laughs> so big because I kept trying to pull myself up and it was absolutely horrible. And um, yeah, that didn't last very long, but uh, I have skied once since then. And okay. you know, um, so let's all be in, what is it? The, the Smurfs? What did you call it? The Snurfs? Snurfing. Snurf, <laughs> Snurf club. Snurf Snurfing. Snurf club. Yeah. I am. Um, I love this for you. I just, I love the fact that we have a cop of the oceans perspective on this show. Yes. And we're all wannabe snowboarders. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of always thought that like, like dolphins were the cops of the ocean. <laughs> that is, they, okay, that's a fair point. They seem to really have a haughty attitude about them. Just saying the first thing that you learn as a surf pig in training is to do the dolphin to get in to the water. So I would probably agree they are, they the are that's all the proof I need. Exactly. You know, they, they are the ones that we strive to become. <laughs> I wish I was a dolphin so I, I could wish. arrest more people in the water. Really quick side note. I asked my daughter what she wanted to be when she grew up and she said a giraffe so she could spit on me because giraffes spit. And then I said, well, then what should I be? And she said, she said, a llama jama, because llama jamas also spit and we can spit together. <laughs> this is the child I'm raising. If anyone else wants to have their children listen to our podcast, very good impressions here. I love the idea of the neck length for reachability in this case. <laughs> like she just genuinely thought it through. Like I followed the logic genuinely. Yeah. Like there was, it wasn't just a quick answer to be silly. Like there was clear no. thought and intent in that. Yeah, definitely. So I am 31 years old and mm -hmm. I remember when I saw this movie, I felt like these were teens. Like I was like, <laughs> this is what it is. Like Greece had adults playing teens, but I was like, this is what it is to be a teen. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I just remember I'm watching this now and I'm like, I feel so old. Like these are children. Of They're like 14 <laughs> little young young underage children in this film did you guys what when you originally watched this like where, what where were you in your life what was this I was film to you? I would have been at least ninth grade that's when I started ninth grade was 99 so I was in high school and I just figured I was like yeah that looks that looks about right mm, yeah I would say the juxtaposition from when I watched it to now is that when I watched it and these what I thought were practically adults were snowboarding and skiing for rights to the mountain it made perfect sense to me and as an adult i'm like you have no say you are children what are you talking about so yeah i i feel you chloe honestly um i think it, up top it's really important that we address that we mentioned earlier there are a lot of stunts in this movie and they are very good and there are a lot of them and 
it is very, very apparent that they are done by body doubles that are much <laughs> older and whiter than the actual characters. Johnny's body double even rides the wrong way. He rides uh, regular and Johnny rides goofy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I But there were some really epic stunts, like the side mm-hmm. of the mountain was definitely real people, not body doubles. Like, a stunt director directed this film. (laughs) Yes! Yeah, it's it's very clear that, like, they had to, they they put this, like, thought into it. And I I remember watching it a few days ago again, and when Johnny is, like, falling down the mountain on skis, I'm like, that looks harder than just actually skiing. And you guys, Literally none of them are wearing helmets. I none know. of them. They never wear a helmet, not even the stunt doubles. And it was so Mm-mm. scary as someone who has snowboarded to watch because I've fallen yeah. and almost feel like I've gotten a concussion before. Like, how dangerous. Mm-hmm. It was the 90s. It wasn't dangerous then. <laughs> No, at the very end, they made like a joke. Yeah, that's right, Dr. G. It was, it was like, uh, and it was because someone else fell and Grandpa and Johnny looked yes. at each other and were like, guess we better get some helmets. <laughs> but they still never <laughs> wore them. They never did. And you know what? That would have solved all the problems with yeah. the stunt people not looking like them. I, I couldn't, I also spent a majority of the film staring, pa- literally pausing the film anytime we got a reflection from the glasses because I was <laughs> looking for a cameraman. I never found one though. I was I was actually, there were a lot of continuity issues with this film, which I'm sure we will get into um, as we go through the show. But I feel like hair was truly the main character of this film. Like so much huge hair and hat choices that were being made throughout this film i feel oh, like man, that iconic cool. hair oh my gosh the one that um famous jet jackson in this mm-hmm. film was wearing yes and that he gives to johnny when he's cool enough mm-hmm. did you all know and this made me really sad when i deep dived the famous jet jackson aka sam oh, yeah. aka lee thompson young he actually passed away in 2013 and it you know, made me I really sad 2015 2013 yeah um 2013 oh my gosh it made he was 29 and it made me really sad i mean not only because of him but like he was probably the best actor of of the kids oh yeah in this film like anytime he was seen it felt like him you know and i remember watching the famous jet jackson and how incredible of a film that or like tv series that was and film but like it made me really sad. I have a very, very important piece of research that I found in my deep dive, and I mm. highly recommend checking out this article. It is a Vice article called What Happened to Johnny Tsunami? <laughs> and it is a piece, a literal interview with the actor Brandon Baker, who mm. played yeah. Johnny Tsunami. And I have so many amazing, I highly recommend reading it yourself, but there's a very, a couple very important things in here that I thought were really interesting. Um, one is that he uh, is, you know, he's currently still alive, obviously living about in uh, Colorado, where I believe he's from originally. He ended up getting involved in extreme sports and then becoming an actor and moving out to LA. Um, but he's back in Colorado. And there, here are my three biggest takeaways from this piece. One, <laughs> do you guys remember this person 
Brandon, was on a bunch of episodes of Even Stevens. He had a, a bit role in there. It was like a tertiary character, right? That's right. So he was on set with Shia LaBeouf and comments on this article about how he was around Shia LaBeouf at the time. If you've never seen the movie Honey Boy, um, it's a really, really mm. fascinating, uh, you know, film by Shia LaBeouf that he wrote in rehab about his childhood as a child actor and all of the, it's autobiographical. He plays his own father. It's a very fascinating film. Um, definitely go and watch that. But he comments on this article that, you know, he was around Shia LaBeouf at the time. He saw that happening, but his parents were the opposite. They were super supportive. Um, you know, he, he didn't have any issues like that. So this is one of those happy ending, uh, you know, Disney Channel star, um, where are they now kind of things. And in addition to that, he didn't get really uh, involved in drugs and alcohol as a kid, but I think it's very important that we note he uh, can officiate your wedding. <laughs> That's his job now, isn't it? So to, to the movie, Johnny, this movie is named after the grandparent, like Coco. Mm. Is that the grandpa's name? The grandpa's called Johnny Tsunami. Like, that's the deal. He's like, my grandpa's nickname is Johnny Tsunami. Yeah. And so he's obviously named after his grandparent. But I remember, like, when I saw, you know, Coco, I was, like, watching, and it's, like, named after the grandma. And, like, partway through, I realized, like, this movie's named after the grandmother. That's interesting. And as I was watching this, I was like, it's the same thing. And you would think that it'd be like, oh, in the end, he's the real Johnny Tsunami. But the sequel is named Johnny Capahala back on board. Whoa. <laughs> right. Okay, I have a question about this. Because Johnny Capahala is his name. Like his actual yes. name. Johnny Tsunami is a nickname. I think he is still Johnny Tsunami by the end of this film. Because he does get the Tsunami medal by winning As, uh, the race. And yeah. that's how Johnny Tsunami got his nickname was by winning that medal and then now Johnny Capahala, his grandson, won the medal win a snowboarding race. So that was my logic. Would Brent or whatever the white kid's name was, it's not important, have been Brent Tsunami if he had won? I think oh. he just wanted to, like... But wasn't it the Johnny Tsunami medallion? No, it was the Tsunami. The Tsunami medallion. Oh. Yeah, right. And it stood for, I. the first note I wrote when watching it was, it goes to whoever best embodies surfing, mm -hmm. which is respect for nature, a desire to surf, and brotherhood. And I don't understand what that means. <laughs> then I guess you can't win. I'm just kidding. We do, we do obtain brotherhood at the end of the film. Sure, sure. But like... <laughs> Um, like that's the first line that the that the grandfather has, who also played Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. Just throwing that out. There. Yes, like in all the Mortal Kombat's. Mm. And he's also not just. I mean, like obviously, since he was in all the Mortal Kombat's, like he's not just an actor. He is a true martial artist. Just so you all know. Yeah. I also think it's important to note that he's in a serious relationship with a woman named Karen, who he asked out after having an ayahuasca-induced vision that there would be a deep and vast love between them. So he's living the dream in Colorado. He says he's a pretty big believer in plant medicines, and she's beautiful and brilliant, and he loves her. And uh, he's not opposed to a Johnny Tsunami reboot idea a la Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> In this one, we all do ayahuasca together. <laughs> I'd watch it. 
Okay, one last deep dive on some of the actors. Um, the person who played yeah. Johnny's dad. First of all, what I thought was kind of interesting was that he almost always plays a villain in other films, like in adult films. Mm. He owns and runs a, yes. a restaurant in Seattle called Kona Kitchen. And I want to go because I live in Washington State. And it literally, okay, but wait, I have to read this to you all. I have to read this to you all. If you go to KonaKitchen.com, <laughs> you can go to the About Us and there's a meet. And I'm so sorry, Yuji Okumoto page, but I just have to read this oh one. God. I just, it's, I love it. Okay. So I just have to read this one, um, this one part for you. Hang on. Um, he, first of all, he looks like a freaking babe. Like he looks right? like 20, I don't know, seven here and he's swole and is, he's looking, he, he's got like like oh my gosh is that contour he looks incredible well he was in the karate kid part two Work. yeah he was in the karate kid part yeah two. he was oh, the bad guy mm-hmm. and this is my favorite part of this whole thing is that it says yuji currently resides in seattle washington where he owns and operates kona kitchen with his wife angie kona kitchen was inspired <gasps> by his years spent visiting friends and family in hawaii including his uncle owned who owned a hawaiian um style restaurant and then Yuji insists upon maintaining a strong family atmosphere in his restaurant, which is evident by the way you are treated here. When Yuji isn't off making movies, you might catch him hanging loose in the restaurant. He always makes time to talk with his customers, pose for pictures, or possibly even block a crane kick. And I just love it. It oh makes God. me so happy. I would not ask for a crane kick. I would say, can you yell at me <laughs> about my future and tell me that snowboarding and surfing is never going to get me anywhere and that the only real way to get forward is to... Please remind me to go home and code. <laughs> Please tell me that I need to follow the uniform rules at the prep academy that you are building learning software for. <laughs> you know what would be even more awesome? What? If someday, when you decided to have a family, you'd have a job that would allow you to support them and uh, be there for them when they needed you. I absolutely love this. Uh, like, okay, the hair in this film, first of all, we've got grandpa's hair looking mm. great. The, the OG Johnny Tsunami, I do not think that was a wig. And if it was, it was, what beautiful head of hair. That's his hair, I think. No, yeah, that's definitely his um, hair. Johnny Tsunami has my hair and we'll do a side by side on the Instagram of my hair and Johnny Tsunami because I was literally like, we have the same cowlick. Um, we really are rocking the same Zac Efron length, uh, High School Musical one <laughs> hair. Um, and Kirsten Storm, mm. final deep dive on because this is our first of many Kirsten Storm films. I know. Um, if you don't know who Kirsten Storm is, y'all, she is Xenon, girl of the 21st century. She is a girl of the 21st mm. century. And she is a soap opera star. And I highly recommend following her on Instagram because she's really into crocheting and is constantly doing like live streams and posting crochet things. And it is, she has a daughter and it is really wholesome, cozy content. And shout out to Kirsten Storm. We love you. I got. I just got stuck looking at the menu for Kona Kitchen. Right. <laughs> okay, we got to do a field trip. This looks delish. Yeah. Like spam masubi is like one of my favorite things. There's a poke place here in Orlando that does spam masubi, and I'll oh. ride my bike to that store just to get a spam masubi and ride it back, and that's a round trip of like eight miles. Amazing. 
They I also do catering, so we can just like have a catered party with Kona <laughs> Kitchen catering. I'm. This is amazing. We're going to Seattle so we can eat at Chosen's Hawaiian restaurant, which he it. reprised his role as Chosen in the uh, Karate Kid uh, Cobra Kai series. That was oh, did he first? Yeah, first YouTube Red and then Netflix in season two or three. Mm. Daniel goes to Okinawa and is dismayed that the village that he hung out at in Karate Kid 2 is now like uh, modernized and is like a shopping mall. And he meets the people from Karate Kid 2 again and Chosen's there and he trains Daniel. I got to um, say, looking at this guy's IMDb, this guy books. Like he is yeah. booking He knows films. how to do it. Yeah. He knows how to do it. So as two people who are mixed race, was this like an important piece of representation for y'all like i i loved that the parents in this film like it, it was really interesting to kind of get i would love to hear your perspective that was literally one of I, my first notes interracial parents it is it's a big deal to have that i would say i i defer this question to uh dr g because for me i i don't that part of my identity is very murky and it's only mm. something that I really started to think about uh, in like the past few years. It's always been, I'm Puerto Rican. And if I, anyone was ever like, Oh, you're like, you're mixed. I'd be like, kind of, but mm. like, I, I never felt that way. Um, and I think that's because me and my whole family are like me and my siblings are all, white presenting like yeah we look like white people i, mean, I just get a really dark same. tan in the summer as yeah. a 50 percent akhenazi jew i always say i'm jewish because <laughs> i'm jewish on my dad's side it's like very complicated but i have uk citizenship so mm. I'm, I'm jewish and when i was a little kid and my dad it was a little party trick he would say chloe tell him what half jewish you are and i'd go my bottom half so uh <laughs> shout out to young comedian chloe <laughs> Yeah, I mean, PJ, I am also extremely white presenting, but I look identical to my mother who is born in South America because we come from Uruguay in South America, right next to Argentina. And 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 mm -hmm. and we are very white, like the people are very, very white. And I actually get my tan from my dad, who is like white USA American. <laughs> um, that's where I get my like olive yeah. tone. My mom is much whiter than I am, actually. So I, I, I felt mm -hmm. the same. And, and actually that was, you know, the one, so like a couple of the first things that I, that I wrote down, one of them was, are the actors Hawaiian? And I went on a, a tiny deep dive because, mm -hmm. um, the dad and the grandfather are both Japanese. Um, one of them is Japanese American and the other mm -hmm. one, I, if I remember right, it was born in Japan. Um, and then, um, Brandon Baker is half Filipino but then I found out that Japanese is mm -hmm. actually the second largest ethnic group in Hawaii. So it was just kind of interesting. Like I, yeah. I didn't do a full deep dive of like Hawaiian actors in the late nineties and you know, that kind of representation. Um, but, but that was just kind of interesting because it was a little bit, in my opinion, like a stereotypical, like, I don't care if you all are the same version of someone who looks, you know, like like Asian or like from Hawaii or from the Pacific Islands, you know, like you all look like that. And it kind of made me feel a little bit icky, but then learning a little bit of the history made me feel a little bit better. Um, 
Yes, because we should mention that on our Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen episode, we started with the worst representation of Asian people ever, which is the white man who plays an Asian person in the NASA. Yes. Uh, Mary Kate Nash Wilson. I don't know how this got aired or still exists. Because it was yeah. like 1989, right? Right. It's so and it's, bad. And it, that is a big part of the show as we watch these shows is like making a commentary on this stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it. I, I, I think it's important to note also that that grandpa, first of all, looked great and was only nine years older in real life than yeah. his yeah. son. Yeah. <laughs> So he was looking great. And also, did you guys notice there was a moment in this film where they showed like old photos, which were supposed to be like the young version of Johnny Tsunami's dad with grandpa. And I was like, is he talk everlasting? Like, does he just like stay the same age as all life? He looks great. And I need his skincare routine. I mean, if you look at a picture of him now, he still looks great in my opinion. Yeah. He is incredible. He is incredible. I mean, he I, was like a stunt guy as well. So he yeah. probably was in peak, you know, condition his entire life. Definitely. Yeah. Imagine being like the bad guy from Karate Kid 2, doing a bunch of stunt stuff, like playing these action roles and bad guys. And then Disney approaches you and they're like, would you like to play a dad who's too focused <laughs> on work to pay attention to his kids' wants and needs? And he was like... Can I do a really cool looking 90s website that only has access to pro surfer salaries? <laughs> Since we're only uh, connected here on the island, let's go with something local. They're like, that's a good idea. It's in. He was the villain of this film, right? I mean, yes. one of them. And, and, and he plays a villain. Oh You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The white people and him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which you guys have obviously seen School of Rock, I yes. assume. Uh-huh. Okay, so I, I'm a huge School of Rock fan. I saw the musical recently. And I found that now that I am 32, um, I identify so much with uh, the Joan Cusack. Or sorry, not Joan Cusack, Sarah Silverman's character. Because I'm like, excuse me, you are sneaking into a school. And you are stealing the identity of someone. You're supervising children. Like, I I have a new perspective of that. And I feel like as a parent, I would be like, okay, surfing, like, actually is great. But, like, you should probably make money. Like, like, I'm like, learn to code. But, like, you would also show up to your 12-year-old kid's surfing competition. Oh, absolutely. And that website UI was just a 100. I, I... we need to recreate this website of what was it? Net it. school? Yes. Yes. Oh, I wrote it down. Net study. That's the one where you hook up all the schools and they like share the same files and stuff. That's the one. Net yes. study. I literally wrote down app idea question mark. Um, okay. But <laughs> if, if I may, let me go on one of my parents. That's where I'm a parent and I rant. Um, when- I'm into this. What I loved about this film is that there were, in particular, four parents that actually played a very strong role. Obviously, Pete, the dad, who clearly grew up in a not super wealthy home with his dad who just wanted to surf all day, right? That's that kind of the perception that he had. Right. And that was very much my literal grandfather. Like, my little gr- literal grandfather... He did work, like he did make money, but then every summer he would quit to spend the day at the beach and then he would go and get a job back again. Huh. And 
like that made my mom <laughs> hyper paranoid about work. And now this movie is obviously like, you know, a 90 minute kids film. So they couldn't really bring it out, but like it took a couple generations, but who did I become? I became Pete. Like I became, it's like Pete is like me and my mom. We are like these people. My mom was the person who was like, work, 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 work. Like you have to go to school. I don't care. You have to do it. You have to have a good job. Like you have to do this. And there was literally this moment. You're Johnny when I was, Tsunami. Well, yes. So, but I think maybe even more so Ayla, like, like, like I said, it kind of goes in between, but there was this moment when I was nine years old and my mom looked me in the eye and said, you can either go to the San Diego Creative and Performing Arts School and continue to pursue your dance, or you can stay at this middle school that you're already at, get into the International Baccalaureate program at San Diego High School and go to UCSD to become a doctor at nine. And I said, great, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to become a doctor. Like, and so now that I am more educated yeah. in like, you know, childhood development and, and kind of all this stuff and the world has changed. I am like Pete at the end of the movie where I'm like, okay, this was my biggest takeaway is that you have to let go of some of your generational trauma and you have to recognize that work for nothing means nothing. And that's what Pete was doing. He was working for, it wasn't for nothing, but it was, it was for like stability. Right. But like, he wasn't happy and his dad was only caring about right. happiness. And what I try to instill in Ayla, which is my daughter, I mean, she's three, but you know, is what you want is to work <laughs> to create your happiness, which means you need to be able to articulate your happiness first, which is what I think Pete couldn't do. Um, and it was just so fascinating because you could see like Melanie, the mom, who was clearly like a more white privileged woman being like, oh, it's fine. And then you could see... Um, uh, Sergeant Sterling, which is, you know, the famous Jet Jackson's dad who had a secure career, like was secure. He was strict, but also like allowed his son to kind of go what out. What a babe. Right? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I was just like, this is the handsomest man I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. And then there was the headmaster who was Kirsten Storm's dad in the film, who was like all strict all the time because, you know, white male fragility. And so it was just so fascinating to see these four parents from a parent point of view and from like the almost identical, like generational trauma slash raising of like me and my family and like immigration and like not being white, but also fitting it. Oh God, it was just, sorry. That was my parent for today. Ding. Did you notice, speaking of the dad being the villain in this film, that in Johnny Tsunami's uh, room when they moved to, is it Connecticut that they moved to? The Vermont. East Coast Vermont. town, Vermont. Um, he has a headshot of grandpa and mm. a headshot of his mom, yep. but no photo of his dad. Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's... A... I did notice. Sometimes a shark toy, <laughs> sometimes a laptop. And I was like, that's savage, Johnny. Like, get a headshot of your dad. No, no, but I think it's I think it's accurate. I think it's accurate. It's who do you feel like inspires you? And his dad didn't inspire him. His dad, you know, like did the opposite. What did you all think of the terrible skyline white kids in this film? It was I really like it's it was so weird to see it so explicitly stated where it was like 
the rich kids ski and the public school kids snowboard and all the kids at the at skyline like first off skyline and then <laughs> what, the name of the school was like maple valley oh so you go to skyline maple valley it's the public school but then they were the skies and the urchins i was like <laughs> disney like like and and then the skies are the bad guys like there's a mm-hmm. sort of like a collective class consciousness being played out here where we recognize that the elites are bad. And I'm like, this is an interesting take here. Not bad. You're actually starting to look like a sky. Hey, uh, some kid called me that yesterday. What's it mean? Shh. That's what they call anyone from the academy. Kids who go to Maple Valley are the urchins. They definitely got ripped when it came to picking names. I never thought about it. But that's also, it's a common trope, the rich bad person. But did yeah. you know that snowboarding is actually still banned on some ski mountains in the United oh. States? Oh, for sure. This yeah. this is an actual conflict. Yeah, it The is. skiers are raising their pinkies and eating caviar, and the snowboarders crush Mountain Dews and Red Bulls <laughs> and leave their, their filthy marijuana cigarettes all over the mountain. Hell yeah, yeah. I did. Well, they actually, one of the reasons it's still banned is because they actually thought that snowboarders would scrape all of the snow off of the mountain. And so they used to make them do like an exam to see how good of a boarder you were before they let you on. Dang. Did you notice the Mac UI on that laptop? Like, especially in these scenes where Johnny Tsunami left a goodbye note and what I can only imagine was a Microsoft Word. (laughs) It looks like Microsoft works to me. Yes, it did. To Office. Amazing. Yeah. Lots of vintage computers in this film. Like 17 font. (laughs) And also the worst goodbye note of all time. And can we talk about like that they snuck on an armed services plane from Vermont to Hawaii and the movie just says you have to accept this. Hey, look and- man, pre-9-11, like remember that full house episode where Stephanie and Michelle sneak on a plane? <laughs> like you but- used to be able to walk up to the plane, like where people go on and off. It was well, these were military planes, Chloe. And then I mean, they, they like landed on a beach. Like yeah. there is a there is an Air Force uh, base in Hawaii, and it is an important base in in the Air Force group. No of shoes, bases. no cell phones, man. But I'm <laughs> just just living, living the but dream. I, I can't imagine that they like they fly in, they somehow sneak off the plane, off the base. And then, like, walked around on the beach carrying all their stuff, and then they happened to run into Grandpa. I've missed that scene. I, I wish I feel we were deprived of the like. Let's sneak into this luggage or into this, you know, dog crate. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I literally wrote that I want a spinoff of that. Like everything that PJ just outlined, I won't repeat it. I literally wrote I want a spinoff of exactly all of that. So you guys know like Lion King one and a half, how it's like to, it's like Timon and Pumbaa's perspective of Lion King. Like yeah, we need that. That's what we need. But it's like Johnny Tsunami, you know, going into the Air Force base. It's like a Ocean's Eleven. I want a serious drama <laughs> a young cadet who has just moved to the Vermont base. Yes. And he finds out that his family back home in Hawaii, someone's sick. 
But the whole time it's happening, in the background, you see a couple of teenagers <laughs> just sneaking around in snowboard gear. Yeah, very Breaking Bad. I love this. It's like, the, uh, it's like in Community when you can piece together what Abed was doing in the background of season two. Oh my god, I love this. I feel like this is the reboot for Disney Plus, the Lizzie McGuire-esque remake that needs to happen. And PJ, can you imagine? Can (laughs) you imagine like a heartfelt scene where like the camera swings around as he's picking up a cord phone in the office, and he's like, "Grandma," and in the background (laughs) you see like Johnny carrying a bag, and he trips, and like a bunch of like like surf wax and like board shorts fall out, and he's scooping it. But you're he's. There's this emotional moment on the phone where he's like, she's going to be okay, right? Well, how much time do we have? I'll get on the first transport from Vermont directly to Hawaii. <laughs> okay, but can we like remotely recreate this and and demonstrate how incredible this would be, please? Because this sounds amazing. I want to see it. What and if no one's going to make it, we should. I'm here for it. I love, I love the idea of just like a modern day... Like, it's almost like The Wire, but yeah. Johnny Tsunami. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or like 60 minutes. In the background of The Wire, there was mm. just like... <laughs> <laughs> I had a really big problem with the way that um, equipment was stored in both of these stores because the comedy of like boards all falling over <laughs> and just like Johnny Tsunami like falling when he had the boots on. And I've worn snowboard boots before. You're not just like no. wibbling and wobbling. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. Yeah, it's there's so much about like the whole uh snowboard and ski shop like brother rivalry that was just so Did you guys notice they were twins? I didn't put it together till the end. And I they're think the it's wink- the same actor, the right? <laughs> Some parent trap shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, that's right. that's Steve Van Va- Wagner. Who that? It's the guy who plays Ronnie and Randy. he he was Sorry, in the Meet the Beatles, right? Wormer, yeah. Oh, Beatles. Yeah. Okay. Wormer. I mean, Wormer. what a performance for the ages. Wormer. I mean, like that goatee was <laughs> a beautiful thing to see. I mean, talk about the wigs in this film. We've got some we, good prosthetics. I'm very amazed we've gotten this far without talking about music. Oh, man. Wait, there was a very popular song at the end. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Music. Oh my Dr. God. Guffles has got this one. Go ahead. Oh, my God. Yes. I don't know what the lyrics are, but it. But the soundtrack was fascinating. Okay. <clears throat> the Way by Fastball. Yeah. This was a song that came oh, out yes. in February of 1998, which was a year before Johnny Tsunami. Um, but if you didn't know... Um, this song's lyrics revolve around an older married couple who decided to leave their life behind by packing their things and going driving without telling their children about their plans. Their car breaks down during the trip, forcing them to continue on foot. And the chorus explains the idea of the couple that are achieving happiness by losing touch with the world, even though they never met, they never see their home again. So that sounds great, right? Um, except that he came up with the idea for this song after reading articles about the June 1997 disappearance of an elderly married couple, Leela and Raymond Howard from Texas, who left their home to attend a Pioneer Day festival in Temple, Texas, 
even though Leela had Alzheimer's and Raymond was recovering from brain surgery and they were discovered two weeks later dead at the bottom of a ravine near Arkansas. What? <laughs> we will never know what can ever do to you. <laughs> never get coming, you'll never get it all. <laughs> The audacity of like, I had so many emotions in that moment because I was like, I know this song. And also yes. the fact that they were throwing a celebratory party with yes. Hawaiian decorations. I was like, you weren't planning on having this party. Do you just have these up in your backyard all the time? Because you're Hawaiian? That song is like forever entwined with like a couple songs from the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. Specifically... Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger, Closing Time by Semisonic, oh, yes. and whatever that Eve Six song is called. It was a very ska era, would you say, yes. PJ? Like, very Listen, kind of... I'm ready know. to talk about ska because <laughs> I was in a ska band oh my when goodness. I lived in Orlando before I left for Korea. And I am a, like... The shows I went to in high school when I would go to like punk shows, I would go to punk ska shows. So like punk ska this. was my jam. I had like I took my white shoes and I put checkers on them with a Sharpie. <laughs> I hung out like I went to local ska shows where the band would just come and sit down with everyone afterward. And I was like, yeah, I love the supervillain. What's your you favorite? What's your favorite ska song? So, like, listen, are we talking, like, third wave ska, second wave, two-tone, original <laughs> from Jamaica? Let's do, like, mainstream, Chloe would know. The mainstream thing you would know. is, it, I mean, it's going to be a song that you ne don't necessarily know. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know music from this era, like, even No Doubt was doing kind of like an OC West Coast No ska. Doubt was ska on their first album. Yeah. They were a ska band, and then when Tragic Kingdom came out, and Gwen and her brother started fighting, they phased him out, and with him went a lot of the horns. If you look at the videos that No Doubt had in their first album, stuff like Oi to the World, there's a horn line. They were wow. a ska band. I mean, this and was just the, the, era, the era of ska around this time. It was. And, like, here's here's what's happening. So, like, first off, ska music started in Jamaica in the 1950s and 60s. It, before reggae, there was ska. And ska was a mix of calypso and jazz music that was coming over the airwaves from America. And... Um, Oh, I, there's another Jamaican, very distinctly Jamaican style of music. But those started to meld and we got ska. After ska came rock steady. After rock steady came reggae. And that's where we think of like Bob Marley. But and early ska cake artists. was really big around this time. I remember Cake was like the first cool music. Like the yes. first oh cool God. CD I got. Yes. It was such an era. And this this is all third wave punk ska. This is Less Than Jake and Real Big Fish. And, Bare Naked um, Ladies? Would they be in there no, too? That, no, they're not ska. Um, and Cake only had a trumpet player. They weren't really like ska music. There was uh, actually Smash Mouth's first album was kind of punk ska. Mm. It's all about the um the the upstrokes like the the right. that makes ska music. So yeah, I 
I'm literally like a huge ska fan. So like the like it's the '90s. It's a movie about extreme sports. There's ska in it. Yeah, I guarantee there's ska and Brink. Maybe yes. somewhere in motocross. I'm sure every I, single I can, like, '90s see the scene extreme in motocross. Movie. Yeah, I can feel yeah. the horns in my bones. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got bone horns. So, PJ, since you're our very, very first guest on this show. Which, thank you, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. This is fun. We could think of no one better to come on this show than you as an expert. And we're definitely going to have you back for theme park segments. But speaking of segments. Yeah. So you are going to be witness to our first segment ever, which is Ayla's Take Us. And if you don't know who Ayla is, we've mentioned her previously on other episodes and on this episode, and that is Sarah's three-year-old daughter. And she is very (laughs) sweet. And uh, did she watch this movie with you, Sarah? She did. She did say that she um, prefers skiing, which made me kind of question, you know, things. Um, but <laughs> she like, okay, did she's a total Yeah, but she did say that she wanted to go skiing so she could smack me in the face with a snowball. So I that feels a little <laughs> irking to me also. So, I mean, maybe we'll let her stick around yeah, a little that's true. Maybe she's like a urchin with a sky rising there we go there we go uh, sun urchins sun urchin <laughs> sky, moon yes. sky yes yes that's that's four words that did not really go together well i did not get that <laughs> phrase off and you have uh, a you have her take on this is that correct to play for us yes um i asked her to recap the film for us and and i was actually pretty surprised at, at this um so, so he, without further introduction, here it is. A, a bad movie. It was a bad movie? What made it a bad movie? Because his dad was gone. Mm, which dad was gone? Where was he? Uh, he was at the beach. Oh, his pop pop? Yeah. Oh. And did it stay a bad movie? Yeah. It was good at the snow. Oh, it was good when they got to the snow? Yeah. Oh, what made it good when they got to the snow? That was, that they were skiing. Then they went skiing, that was good? Yeah. Yeah, so was it a good movie or a not good movie? Good movie and the band. Oh, cool. Would you ever want to watch it again? No. All right. If you had to give it one two or three stars how many stars would you give it i will give it three stars all right because what about two stars because it's two ways to get his dad back what were the two ways to get his dad back by giving him two tickets two tickets because he brought his friend to go get the pop pop yeah oh so two stars because two people had to go get Pop Pop from the beach? Yeah. Got it. Thanks for your review. Thank you for your review. That was Aloy's take on I did not realize how much Winston was snoring in the back of that. Apologies. But um, that was Aloy's take I thought that was a sewing machine. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was like a carpenter behind you. Just like. That's okay, amazing. I love that. Um. Two so, stars? Two, two stars. To paradise. 
Yep. 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 And it was good and bad because, uh, you know, the dad was missing at the That's, beach. And, uh, that was actually the... like a, a balanced and honest review. Like, it was right? bad, but it was good. I was shocked. So, what you're saying is we need to enter Ayla into the X Games. Yes. Yes. And and also never watch this again. I mean, at least she said she said she's done. She I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I'm I, this is something I always wonder like are these movies so like stuck in our mind because it was part of the Zeitgeist or if you had like if these were just running as reruns on Disney all the time and kids were watching them would they enjoy them? It's so it's obviously so removed from modern times. What we're finding with a lot of these shows is without modern technology, specifically cell phones, it's really hard. Like Harriet the Spy is really difficult to like imagine like, well, why didn't they text them? Like I feel like so much of the Mm. things that we see like Victorious and like Sam and Cat on Nickelodeon nowadays, they have these things called pear phones, which is like an Apple iPhone, but it's shaped like a pear. Um, And it's so much a part of the world that – you know, even watching something like Good Burger, it's like, well, why don't they have a Nest Cam? <laughs> you know, it's hard to, like, understand without modern technology. <laughs> I think even beyond that, it's also the viewer's access to watching things. Because this era of, like, Disney original films was really the first time that there was films made for children at your home. Like, accessible at your yeah. home. And nowadays with like Netflix and all of the millions of apps, you have them whenever Mm. you want all the time. But this was really like a very, very unique moment in like access to media history of, of being able to watch a film that was explicitly created for you, but at your home with nothing but your- And you would know it was coming. Yes, yeah, exactly. And we should also mention, that back in this day, Nickelodeon had like product commercials, but Disney Channel, since it was Disney, all of the commercials were either for other shows. So like it would just keep you at the TV. It was all advertising to be like, here's the behind the scenes. Here's the, you know, here's a Disneyland behind the scenes. It was all just ads for Disney. So it was very reciprocal. And you never saw like an ad for a toy. Like Nickelodeon was always toys. Um, So we were constantly being fed like, hey, it's it's me, Kirsten Storms, and I'm behind the scenes at like Xenon and we're filming it and here's how we do this scene. So you are constantly being told like, here's what you're going to watch next and here's the schedule because there was no internet. Like mm-hmm. unless you had TV guide, you didn't know what was going to be on the TV. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, TV guide. <laughs> and we should also mention, you know, Sarah, you made a great point about accessibility. All I wanted to do was watch Degrassi. Like mm-hmm. I, but I didn't have noggin. Like yeah. my parents wouldn't pay for the extra cable. So I, I used to go to people's homes to watch Degrassi. <laughs> I have a very different uh, childhood from my from my wife who talks about not having access to these shows. So I, there's some of them that she remembers and she recalls and she's like, yeah, but she like saw them at friends' houses. Like mm-hmm. I have a different relationship with a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually only knew uh, Xenon because a kid that she babysat liked to watch mm. it a lot. 
We, so Disney was an extra paid channel, um, at yes. least down in San Diego. And that was the one thing, I mean, we were, when I was very young, we were homeless for a period of time. So we were very mm -hmm. poor, but once we got to this late nineties era, we actually could afford that one channel. And we did do that, um, because, you know, Disney is my birthright and, um, it's very fascinating though, because Adrian grew up in a household with just his brother who is eight years older and his dad. So even though they grew up very like rich and access to everything and all of the things and like computers and internet before it was cool kind of thing, he does not know any of these films mm -hmm. at all. He knows, you know, Beavis and Butthead. They were very exclusive. Yeah, yeah. He He's not in this like you know, millennial, it wasn't a part of his, his culture at home. Yeah. This was like talked about at my school. This was like such a big part of, you know, American Idol back in the day. You used to call at night and it was interactive. You know, there were these mm. kind of cultural water cooler talk for, uh, you know, it was such a big deal if you watched South Park, if your parents allowed you to watch mm -hmm. it. And that well, was like I got discussion. a in the eighth grade and I wore it to a party where I also my mom had some extra money so she bought me like a pair of baggy pants and a quicksilver t-shirt and a, yeah. a quicksilver button-up from ross <laughs> and i wore that whole outfit to like an eighth grade like a birthday party for like the the pretty girl in the eighth grade and i thought i was so cool because i had a cartman hat and someone like took it off my head and was like joking about and I, I think it was even a girl and i made a big deal about it and she was like What's your problem? Got mad at me, and I just now realized that she was flirting. <laughs> I was so mad about the hat. I was like, "Don't take it. I just got it." Oh my! And God. like, I was being really Amazing. rude about it. Amazing. Damn, was I unlikable as a teenager? <laughs> I feel like this was an era we had a dress code at our school, so free dress day was a huge deal. And I bought these this Fubu. Windbreaker mm. material, um, pants that you could zip to capris that you could zip to shorts. Very Chloe. cool. And Chloe, you bought FUBU? I was very cool, okay? <laughs> no, it was absolutely one of the most horrendous outfits I've ever had. And But the idea of like zip pants or like zip, like limited to had all of these like they're capris, but they zip into bell bottoms. Like mm. zippers were huge in this era and i loved the representation of pack sun era quicksilver surf tops like i was surprised to see brand name popular surf and snowboarding brands uh, oh in the mom show. had a nectar long sleeve yep. yeah fashion yeah i was more on pj's fashion at this age i was into the baggy jeans really thick like wide leg baggy jeans and Jinkos like i just and yes Yes, and I just slicked my hair back in a ponytail with gel, just like matting it down as Whoa. little as possible. I had Ellie looks number 10, mm -hmm. and I would uh, push it all down on my forehead and then just lift up the front part, like Brian from the Backstreet Boys, the way he did his hair. You mean I feel like... The main character in Smart House. Yes. <laughs> I think I think that's true. Yeah. I feel like we all would have been in a skating gang 
all upbringing yeah. together, had we all been in the same uh, geographic location around this era, just listening to ska and just like skating yeah. it up. Just I just realized air. that in in Brink, the 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 group that we root for is a little more diverse too. Yeah, every time. Actually, the bad guys had the Black Ranger as well. Yeah, the yeah. '90s were actually a really big era for for these like like diverse group of friends. I mean, there was still very much like mainly a white male protagonist or white female protagonist, but almost always the group was actually diverse. Yeah. Yeah. And not just in in race. It was it yeah. was the beginnings of that, and it it was it it didn't seem yeah there was like there was uh we certainly only had like two genders represented in these Disney movies, right. but um, there, there was a sense that, and it didn't feel like people were like, and this might be that I was in the ninth grade and I didn't know what politics was happening at the time. It just seemed like it was like a, yeah, like we, we need to represent diversity a little better. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like there were people who were like, Disney needs to be more diverse. It felt like Disney was just doing it. And these I movies like were just doing it. Johnny could have used a, a lady or they, them friend. Like that, I, that is what I feel like. I, it was weird that like Kirsten Storm was sort of the Smurfette in this village. Like the yeah. only other girls that we saw were in the classroom scene, like rolling their eyes at how rude yeah. the boys were. Oh my gosh, sure. she was Smurfette. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. I was looking up TV tropes for this movie and um, did not find a lot. Smurfette would have been a perfect one. Yeah. <laughs> I will say Sam, um, his friend, the famous Jet Jackson, did actually say at one point, Dad said it's all about it's it's the same as any other war. It's all about the land. And I was just like stunned by the depth of that statement. Because his yeah. dad was a, you know, a sergeant, but then also like, you know, his dad was was a black man and also, you know, I just like I just they were from Hawaii and like all of these things and I was just like, "Wow, that was a bold statement for for Disney in the 90s." I feel like we got more skies to go boarding, things would change. It's not about boarding, dude. Dad says it's like any other war. It's about land. What do you mean? Well, see, the whole mountain used to belong to this one dude. When he died 10 years ago, his family divided it down the middle. Borders on this side, skiers on the other. Only problem is, the best runs are on Skyline. And we're not allowed to go over there. He is Bay, and do you think he is still single? Because I'm just, like, so obsessed with him. The dad. He was, oh, my gosh. Yes, he was so, like, handsome. I was just like, yes. Yeah, his name is Kevin Silk Cozart. He lives in Tennessee. Um, unfortunately, his Wikipedia does not have his marital status. He's a beautiful man. And he was one of, I wish we would have seen more of him. Like, hey, let's bring him back for the remake we're going to do. That's right. He's got to be on camera. He's got to be on base. He's going to be like, not on my watch. Like, and he's like, but then it's like, he plays it really cool with the parents. Like he was very chill for being like, your son smuggled um, my son onto a military base. Once he found out that they were somewhere, I think he was like, well, okay, they're alive. What role do you think he plays in The Wire? Uh, to be fair, he he's he's kind of like a, like we're talking about how handsome he is. He is the Idris Elba of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the we handsome, call it handsome, handsome man. Johnny Two and a Half Tsunami, and it's like Johnny Johnny Tsunami Tsunami, where we get the 
the dramatic uh, the dramatic climax of how they got. I just pictured. I guess as a child, I just pictured them either going into a dog crate or like sneaking into a jet or mm. something. Just like <laughs> like oh, let's like just walking up. on. Like there's a bunch of kids carrying suitcases walking on an air force base, and no one bats an eye. They give sleeping pills to two guards. They steal their costumes and pretend they that throw they a stake to keep a dog away. Yeah. <laughs> a Hawaiian spam. Uh, yes, spam. Some pineapple. Oh my god. <laughs> also, um, real quick, sorry, I just was deep diving on um, on this beauty of a man. He also started a nonprofit called Keeping Dreams Alive to help kids, um, particularly um, folks who are you know underserved, and mentoring kids and teenagers all the way through college and and helping them through like sports and scholarships and education and all that that is awesome he is we love him we love him that's fantastic any final thoughts on this film before we close things out we have missed a major point here Uh oh a actor (gasps) noah bastian who was who did he play in this movie who did he play? Oh, Bastion. He played Aaron in Johnny Tsunami. He was a member of Together, the satirical boy band for MTV that did You Plus Me Equals Us Calculus. I know my calculus. It says you plus me equals us. This era of like pop culture, the Y2K era, just so many surf. Like, surf's up, y'all. I just gotta say, Pono, surf's up. You plus me equals us. I know my calculus is one of the best songs of all time. I, all I have to say is surf pig for life. Surf pig for life. Surf pig for life. PJ, any thoughts? My final thought is, uh, I really felt this was like, like a quintessential Disney movie. Like, I think Mm. it's up there when you talk about these Disney movies. And my final thought is we don't snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I need to try and deliver it her like that. Like her though. Johnny, we don't snowboard. We don't snowboard, Johnny. <laughs> Perfection. My final statement is the same way that I started this podcast, which is white people need to stop and they're problematic. And uh, if we've learned anything about this film, it's that we owe the land to the people who originally owned it. Our father gave us this mountain, (laughs) a whole mountain. It's ours. I also had a, a, a problem with splitting up twins in a divorce. I mean, wow. I mean, we have some more films to talk about that. Oh, yes. I was going to say there's plenty more, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, PJ, I feel like we we have to get you back for Brink. We got to get you back yes. for a... Let's I'll bring you guys like a Horror Nights update if you guys want to talk about... Because yes. I'll talk about the history of Horror Nights, which started in 1990 as Fright Nights. We're going to have you back as our theme park correspondent... You are absolutely amazing. And uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I'm at Metzen Around pretty much everywhere. I got lucky that no one had taken that. So MetzenAround.com has all my socials on it. Metzen Around on Twitter. Metzen Around on Twitch. I'm streaming about two to three times a week on there, just doing coding stuff and hanging out. Hit me up. Follow me. Say hi. Uh, 
Venmo me a dollar. I don't know. Whatever. Thank you so much, PJ. You couldn't have done this Thank one without you. Thank you for having you. me. Aw. I feel loved. Should we close with, like, what do they say in the film? Like... <laughs> We have to we, no. We're going to be closing with PJ's dad's impression. Of, oh yes, of to call Tsunami. my dad and record him doing the Johnny Tsunami noise. You're gonna have I'll actually, to. I'll, I will do that tonight. Actually, that yeah. Because uh, if you don't get us that PJ, we're just gonna end it right now. Salute Your Sports is not endorsed by the companies featured in this episode or any of their subsidiaries. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names, pictures, audio, and video clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. Mix and Master by Dr. G. Our theme song is Keep Me Entertained by Maddie McGuire. Salute Your Sports is recorded in front of a live house plant and in a shed and is not produced in Nickelodeon Studios at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Thank you.